0: This is a new and strange environment at first, suddenly finding yourself in orbit. I'm Neville Andrew Mera, and this is Never Normal, a show about breaking free from the boring default plan and living life on your terms instead. My guest for this episode is Tom Hurst. Tom is a successful freelance WordPress developer. He's worked on projects for the likes of Facebook, England's National Health Service, and sportswear brand Umbro. Tom also writes regularly about the business of freelancing. Tom shares insights he's picked up from over 10 years as a freelancer and mentors other freelancers. Tom, welcome to Never Normal.
1: Thanks for having me, Neville. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, A lot of us, myself included, start freelancing after, you know, working some years in a traditional job and sort of getting fed up at some point or just wanting more freedom. Was that the case for you Mm -hmm. as well?
1: No, it was actually uh, completely the opposite because I just started straight into freelancing from education.
0: So you went straight from university and I think you applied for some jobs at least, right?
1: Yeah, so I applied for one job, and I kind of went through the, the whole interview process and things like that with, yeah, I, I just I just kind of had this realization that even at that interview stage, that this whole normal job thing, I'm using the, the air quotes right now, yeah. wasn't really going to be for me. Um, and yeah, they got back in touch with me and said I hadn't got the job, I'd, I'd come a close second, but it was kind of like a blessing in disguise it kind of really i don't know kicked me on i guess to explore you know the freelance life that I guess I really wanted deep down, anyway.
0: Yeah, amazing how how some little things like that. I mean, maybe that other person, you know, if they'd rejected the offer for some reason, if things had turned out differently. But Brian Clark, I think it is from Copy Blogger, and he refers to people like us as as unemployable. And I'm just curious, like, what was it that that made you, especially at like a pretty young age? I think you were what, maybe 22, and having never even like worked a proper job at that point, what was it that turned you off from that? That, that made you so kind of like averse to the even just the idea at that stage of going and getting like a, a proper office job? I think
1: I'd always had the entrepreneurial mindset in me from a young age uh, because of how I'd been brought up. So my dad, um, he's an accountant and he's had his own business since a young age as well. When we were growing up, you know, me and my sister, we would sell Pokemon cards at car boot sales and, and things like that. And I would sell phones and buy and sell different handsets and things like that. And I just think that that kind of family upbringing and the entrepreneurial spirit I guess was what kind of put me put me on the back foot towards getting a proper job uh, as as you would say right from the off
0: and so once you made that decision was it was it like an instant success i mean so you you went for this interview, you kind of had that experience you you felt in the process that like okay, maybe this isn't for me, you already had some entrepreneurial leanings. But how did you get from there to, you know, did you just land a client straight away, or were, was there some? What did that process look like?
1: So it wasn't it wasn't easy at all at the beginning. Um, obviously, even though I had this like fire in my belly to you know be an entrepreneur, be go it alone, and have the autonomy and things like that, it wasn't it wasn't an easy um, start. So I, while I was at university, I learned how to program through WordPress. So WordPress is like a a content management system that's powers like 60% of the web or whatever it is now, it's really popular. But back at the, um, back 12 years ago when I started out, it was kind of in its infancy, Um, but I decided to specialize in that straight away. And I learned a lot about it while I was at university during, we had like a module, it was like a free reign module and you could do whatever you wanted. And I built a website on WordPress for my uncle's band as it was at the time, and uh, that just got me got me kind of started in 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 that sense. So once I had these WordPress skills, I could then say to everyone that I knew, look, you know, is anybody wanting a website? Is anybody? If anyone mentions WordPress, then then I'm your guy. Um, and that's that's how it started out. It was a little bit slow in the beginning. But then um, my dad had a hit with um, one of his clients who was looking for a website and they mentioned WordPress specifically. And the stars just kind of aligned. It sounds really weird, but just from putting myself out there and uh, picking like quite a, a niche skill. And becoming known even just to my father at that time as being someone who, who has these WordPress skills, he made that connection when it came up in conversation. Um, and then, yeah, I started working for that client and that relationship lasted about a year and a half, I think. Oh
0: wow! Is that typical for you, even these days, to have engagements that go that long?
1: Um, some, some have done in recent years. Not so much right now. It's more project by project. When I when I started out, it was more like a day rate kind of thing. Thinking
0: back to what you said that that you you told um, people in your in your kind of personal network, it sounds like I'm the WordPress guy or I'm your WordPress guy. It sounds so simple to say that, but it's funny the number of people who I talk to who are like interested in becoming freelancers or, or going into business for themselves and they're like, Yeah, I've tried everything and it's just so hard to land a client. And I'm thinking, like, I know you. I've never seen like a Facebook post or, or any like it's they sort of treat it as this separate world of like, you know, I don't want to bother the people that I know with this businessy stuff. So they just, you know, they'll go to like a networking event or something like that. And they'll maybe try to land a client if somebody happens to ask them, but they won't actually just go like, you know, put out a flag and say, Hey, look, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. If you know anyone who needs this service, you're not even trying to necessarily sell to the people, you know, in your case, your dad, it was just like, Hey, if you know someone who needs this thing, this is what I do just basically telling your story hey here i am and again it sounds like such a simple thing that you did but i think that's it's something that that not everybody actually does and and they give up without even doing that right that they think oh yeah i'm gonna no
1: exactly and i think that doing that kind of set me off on a good standing point really to Become a marketer, because that's one of my firm beliefs, that if you're going to go into the freelance game and you want to go, go it alone, um, making money online or whatever you want to do, you're essentially first a, a marketer, right? So it doesn't matter how good you are at the skill that you're trying to sell. If you don't know how to sell it, you're not going to get very far.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. It's funny you say that because actually the next question, I'll, I'll tip my hand a bit and say I have a, I have a question written down in front of me and, and I'll actually read it verbatim just because it's funny how how close what you just said is. And that is that there's a lot of people out there who are software or web developers who just want to do the thing, right? I'm a developer. I just want to develop. They don't necessarily understand marketing or they just don't feel comfortable to that previous point about selling themselves. What would you say to people like that? Like, like, is that? Is it realistic to be a freelancer if you feel that way? Or is that something that they maybe need to overcome? Or h- how do you think about that?
1: It's certainly going to be a lot tougher if you don't want to get into that realm to be a freelancer or to at least reach a level where, you know, you're earning like what, what you would call like better than average money, I guess. I think I think the the marketing side of things is is super, super important. But to give people hope, it can definitely be learned. And, and I would consider myself a student of marketing as well. Because I mean, at the beginning, we all know. Well, I mean, well, this is what I was like when I was 22 years old. I was pretty anxious to go out and sell. I was pretty nervous to have client calls and things like that. But I made it kind of my mission to study marketing, study business, not just study web development. Obviously, that that came more naturally than what the marketing side of things did. So, yeah, to, to answer the question, I think if you don't want to be a marketer at all, then I would get a job. That That's what, that's what I would say to people. But if you are open to learning marketing and you feel like it could be, so, you know, it could become something that you um, get good at, then definitely you've got a you've got a chance in freelancing for sure.
0: I I couldn't agree more. So for those people out there listening who. You know they have the technical chops, as it were, right? They, they maybe they're a graphic designer or they're a web developer like yourself. Maybe they're into WordPress or React Native or or they're in UX, whatever it is. But they have the technical skills, and they don't they don't like us. They they don't want to you know work a nine to five for the rest of their lives. But that's their only source of income right now, right? They're working full time. They have a job. They have these skills. They're sort of interested in freelancing. What would you say is sort of step one or how would you think about kind of getting started to to land that first client if you were doing that today? So I think
1: with the marketing stuff and bringing clients in, obviously first you want to everybody that you know like what we touched on at the beginning but I think when you want to start you want to start playing a long-term game straight away so you want to start thinking how am I going to get people to come to me you want to be thinking about your inbound game so for me that starts with you know your personal brand and sharing what you know online whether that be through your personal website or you know on Twitter social media whichever platform you choose And becoming someone who's a consistent sharer, because I think what that consistency teaches you is the, it's like a marketing skill in itself, right? If you can be consistent and you can put out content on whatever platform it's on that's relevant to the people that you want to attract, then that's going to stand you in good stead for years to come.
0: Yeah, it it sounds like what you're describing is kind of working in public rather than just doing the work and then when you run out of work to do, or when you run out of clients going and then desperately trying to sell something, it it sounds more like kind of a steady drip of content around what it is that you're working on. So you're not only showing up, say on LinkedIn once a year when you're looking for a new project or once a month or, or however often. One thing that's changed since you and I kind of first got started is that there are many more opportunities now on like freelance marketplaces, things like Upwork um, and other websites that are out there where freelancers can bid on projects. Is that something you recommend as an approach for people who are getting started? Or, I mean, you mentioned inbound, and this seems like kind of the opposite of inbound. How how do you think about those? And what do you recommend for people getting started when it comes to projects on sites Mm. like those?
1: I mean, it's hard for me to say because I never really use those sites, I worked primarily on, you know, telling the people that I already knew and then word of mouth and then inbound. So that, that was my approach. But I think with, you know, these sites like Fiverr and Upwork and things like that, I think it can get you a start. And I think that there is, it is viable for some people right at the beginning, but I wouldn't make it my primary source of, you know, leads forever. I would, I would default back to what we talked about before in, in terms of, working on this constant marketing flywheel to get people to come to you because obviously then your position does, you know, the authority, people already know who you are rather than you going out and pitching to them. And when you're in that kind of position, you can usually charge money. So
0: maybe then sites like Upwork could be a way to sort of build a portfolio in the very beginning and overcome that. You mentioned a flywheel. So just running with the analogy, like a flywheel has no momentum in the beginning. You got to like get some momentum going. So maybe there's, an opportunity there to work at perhaps like a cheaper rate or more as like a sort of commodity developer or designer or whatever your skill is and get those initial projects maybe get some testimonials going some experience get your name out there but you would you would try to transition away from that pretty quickly it sounds like.
1: Yeah I, th- I think that what you just said it is a perfect way to do it as long as you're working on, you know, building your reputation alongside that as well. So you're not just doing upwork job, job after upwork job and then like nothing else. You know, you want to be doing the blogging and things like that as well.
0: Yeah, and that's, that to me is one of the the sort of seminal challenges of freelancing, right? And I'm curious how you approach this because it always sort of feels like if you're busy doing a bunch of the work, you have, or, you know, working in the business, as they say, you have no time to work on the business. And so how do you think about balancing those two? Like for you now in your business, you know, how is your time split sort of between doing actual client work and doing all the other stuff, especially the marketing to bring in future client work to get those, to generate those Mm -hmm. inbound leads?
1: Yeah, it's kind of changing right at the minute because I'm kind of expanding my freelance work into like a more of an agency kind of company. Um, But in terms of over the last 12 years, the split would always be at least one day a week where I'm just focused on marketing strategy and talking to people even if it's not like writing a blog post or doing some linkedin work or some outreach or whatever it would be just just talk to people even even if just just make sure it's scheduled in number one because if it's in the calendar then it happens right (laughs) if you give something a time then it happens so yeah i would always say it used to be like fridays a few years ago and i would just like communicate with people online follow up on you know emails that have gone a little bit cold and things like that and that's all part of you know the marketing process and it's got to be something that's scheduled and done on a on a weekly basis minimum so yeah it is difficult and i think that you can easily get trapped in this cycle of work 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 and then stop like the feast and famine thing right but if you if you if you keep if you keep marketing always that's something that i would say keep marketing always keep that pipeline full and it just makes everything else so much easier.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, just in what you've said there, there's a couple of things that I just want to reiterate. And, and yeah, one is just that idea of continuing to market. And, and this is, it's perhaps counterintuitive for people, especially when they're just getting started, but like when you already have work, when you already have a project, you still need to be marketing yourself. It, you this the, that feast-famine cycle that you referred to comes out of this usual practice where it's like, okay, I need to hustle for a while to get a project, and then you land some project, and then you're like, okay, now I've got a project. Oh, I'm too busy. I got to do this project. I have no time to market myself. And and something as simple as your strategy of just blocking off whether it's one day a week or, you know, half a day, tw- two days a week or whatever schedule makes sense, you know, for each person, just having deliberate time where you're like, I, I, I'm not trying to sell a project today for the sake of, you know, eating tomorrow. It's it's just this ongoing effort that you can't just turn off. Like you mentioned consistency earlier. Uh, is there anything that, you know, you mentioned it's been 12 years since you got started. Is there something that you would do differently now? Either because, you know, hindsight's 2020 and and you've certainly learned a lot since then but also just because times have changed right we mentioned the proliferation of marketplaces plenty of other things have changed as well how would you how would you do things differently if you were kind of trying to get a business going again like your own good question
1: i think the first one would be i would raise my rates quicker and not and and that boils down to really getting kind of stuck so we talked about the first client that i ever had that lasted for a year and a half i think i became a bit of a a victim of uh, the advice, you know, anti the advice what I've just given really because I stuck with them for so long. I wasn't looking for the clients. I was very happy with that. But then whenever I wanted to increase my price, I always got pushback, if you know what I mean. So if I would have kept marketing myself and had potentially two clients at once, three clients at once, and then a couple more irons in the fire, it would have made requesting more money a lot easier Because if that client wouldn't have paid it, then one of the others probably would. And I would have had some kind of idea of my market rate in advance where I could do testing and things like that and experiment on price without completely cutting off my income stream. So that would be the first thing that I would do different. I would, you know, keep marketing always, as I said before, and get more irons in the fire so that it makes everything else easier. And it's just a lot less pressure when you go in and say, look, I I want more money. You know, you've got less fear because you've got more optionality.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's like an abundance situation that you're coming from rather than one of scarcity. But I think there's even, there's something more to it than that. Like certainly at a practical level, you know, having more clients gives you more certainty makes you more comfortable to say no if somebody wants to give you work that's just not a good fit or not necessarily at the rate that you want. But I think there's there's something transformational also about having multiple clients as a freelancer, because when you really just have one that you're working for, a lot of times it can be just like a job by another name. You know, where they're they're just sort of dictating to you what to do, and you're billing hourly or daily, and so you you know, maybe you're not getting benefits, or you know the tax implications could be different than if you were an employee. But they're sort of treating you like an employee. You're not saying like, "Here's my menu of services, which one would you like?" They're saying, "Okay, you know, we need this done by tomorrow," and you're just at their at you know their whim or mercy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think
1: like as I've come to get a little bit longer in the tooth you realize that when you are freelancing for one client, you're not really freelancing. And it's exactly what what you just said. It's kind of like having a job with no benefits and no control, no no power and no real, yeah, it's, it's commoditized. And I think that, as you said, you know, the route where you start saying to people, this is my offer and this is what it costs, as opposed to this is my rate, is when you start making that transition from, you know, the 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 fake freelancer to the real one.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and obviously everything everything starts from 0 to 1, right? I I don't want to I don't want to deter people from getting started. You need one client before you can have two clients, but I think the message here is that you should be pretty quickly looking for two clients. And especially if you're transitioning from a 9 to 5, part of the awkwardness of that is that you're no longer just sort of serving one master or one boss, right? You're going to have one boss who is the client who wants the website done tomorrow or, or whatever the project is, you know, they want your full attention on that, but you're doing yourself a disservice as we just described. If you're only doing that, if you're not carving out time to look for that second client. And then once you have a few, it sort of becomes a little bit, I mean, you have new problems to deal with, but that part becomes a little bit easier where you get used to sort of juggling multiple things for, multiple clients plus your own business.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think once you start doing like the same thing for a long time, it becomes easy because all the clients have the same kind of problem. So like what we spoke about with me specializing in WordPress, I was only doing WordPress. I didn't really need to know anything about javascript or whatever because that was not what i was specializing in so as my client base expanded the work actually got easier because i was you know solving a lot of the same problems for the same type of people
0: this is probably one of the most underrated um bits of wisdom or or underfollowed, and and i think it blair ends talks about this in in win without pitching and it's you know the the people who are out there who study kind of this consulting and and creative industry it is a common topic, but I still think it's it's so often overlooked. This idea that like the more you specialize, the more you kind of put yourself in a in a small box, in a small niche, the stronger your business becomes because you're able to position yourself. You know, you you said it from the beginning. You started out and you're like, Oh, there's this new thing, WordPress, it's cool you know, I'm going to tie myself to that bandwagon or whatever. And so you told the world that you're the WordPress guy, you could have said, I'm the, you know, website made with the CMS guy, or just the website guy, or the software guy, or the anything to do with a computer, really, it's all technical, I can figure it out. And the further, the broader you go, again, it's counterintuitive, because it sort of seems like, oh, well, I'm just starting out, I should say yes to everything. I don't have any clients, I don't have any money. Like I'll just take whatever comes in the door. And again, that that feels kind of good to say that to yourself. Like I'll just I'll do whatever the client wants or what anyone wants. I need the job. But the problem is is the opposite of what you just described, right? Is that you don't get any better at it and you don't get to position yourself and you don't become known as, you know, Tom Hurst, the WordPress web development expert guy who's been doing it for 10 years, who's done this project before, who's seen this problem a million times. I don't know, imagine you're going to the doctor and you're going to have surgery. You want the guy who's done the surgery or the woman who's done the surgery dozens or hundreds or thousands of times. You don't want the person who's like, don't worry, we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm, I'm a doctor. I've done doctory type stuff before. You know, we'll manage.
1: No, exactly. I think you're so right. Like people, I think they're actually genuinely scared that they're going to cut people out but they're not, they're not thinking about the long-term game. And I think that's, that's what the, the underused part is. People are thinking super short-term. And I, I know that everyone, you've got to make money, right? And especially in the beginning, that's hard. You've got to... There is going to be some kind of compromise, you know, you're going to have to compromise a little bit, but you also need to be thinking about the long term. So if you were going to do a WordPress website, a Joomla website, a Webflow website, a, a whatever, you know, what what are you going to become known for? What are you going to be, what's your differentiator? What's going to make you stand out to the person that has a really specific WordPress problem that they need solved? And it's like you said with the, the doctor analogy, right? You know, you don't want the jack of all trades. You want the master. You don't want the guy who, or girl, who, you know, operates on hands, feet, kneecaps, and elbows when you, you, you're you going in for brain surgery, right?
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you can, so just for, for people listening to be clear, you don't necessarily have to pick a particular technology. That's certainly one way to do it. You can specialize in, in a particular vertical. You can specialize in a combination of the two, right? You could make restaurants or sorry, websites for restaurants or something like that. Like there's plenty of ways to do it, but just being deliberate about who you are and how you show up in the world, I think is the real Message here. Speaking of which, I mean, you've mentioned. Uh, let's talk websites because you've mentioned your website here. And when I'm doing digital strategy work, I I always tell clients the uh, the famous line from the movie uh, was it Field of Dreams: "If you build it, they will come." is is simply not true. And and that surprises a lot of people. And what surprises me is is hearing you say how effective your website is in the sense that. Uh, I think it's the, the main source of leads and I've, I've heard you say before that you get something like one or two new leads a day yeah. from your website. Is that right?
1: Yeah, on average. At least at least 10 a
0: week. Wow. At least 10 a week. And so, I mean, that's, first of all, that's amazing. Congratulations. Um, wh- where are those leads coming from? Is it all SEO or is it different traffic source? Like, how did you, because I, I could put up a website tomorrow that says, you know, John Smith, the whatever, React Native expert. And and I wouldn't expect to see that sort of result. And obviously, you've had the side up for a while, but tell us more about how you've made that happen.
1: Yeah. So it's mainly organic SEO, which is the, the source of the traffic. Um, and then recently, as I've started to build out an audience on Twitter, started getting traffic from there as well. But yeah, it's primarily organic SEO and um, focusing again on WordPress terms. So the freelance WordPress developer term I rank really well for uh, in the UK and pretty well for in the US as well. And like you said, (laughs) I've been doing this for quite a while. So the website's been up, you know, 11, 12 years itself as well. So that just all compounds over time, right? But yeah, another tactic as well is I write a lot of articles, not necessarily always about WordPress but you know, about freelancing and business and things like that. And the good thing is that these articles get links and that then boosts the overall domain authority of the website. And then that increases the visibility of the um, single service landing pages where the leads come in.
0: Yeah. And I love the way that you sort of peel back the curtain a little bit, both, both in life and your business. And, And you talk quite openly on your website about what you're working on, what's working like even down to things like revenue numbers and and lifestyle stuff. And I think that there are, you know, it's, it's sort of natural to think, okay, I'm making a website for my business. And even if that business is just me, one person as a freelancer, you know, I'm going to have like a homepage and maybe an about page and some kind of price list or something like that. And, and really you're using your, your website to sort of showcase, not just the stuff that would normally be in the front of a store if you think of it that way but also a little bit behind the scenes like if it were a restaurant it's like hey come into the kitchen with me and let me show you how we make the food it sounds like that strategy of working in public of just kind of putting stuff out there has worked well I mean based on what you're saying in terms of numbers of leads that you're getting and the success you've had over the years
1: yeah definitely and I think your personal website is like your cv now you know I think in the next like 10, 20 years, we're not going to be handing over paper CVs for jobs anymore. I think a lot of us will be uh, freelancers number one, but I think that if you don't have a personal website and you're not sharing what you know, what you're learning, where you're going, even a bit of personal stuff, if you're comfortable with that, then you're going to be at a disadvantage. And uh, yeah, like you say, I completely agree with what you said. I think that that stood me in really good stead to open up a little bit and be quite personal about, you know, the decisions that I'm making, the thought process that I'm going through as a a freelancer, because I think it builds character. And when when you show, you show like, you know, that transparency, it adds to the layer of authenticity that, you know, you know what you're on about and it infers expertise and it builds trust. And there's really not many downsides that I can think of, of building in public. And I just wish that I would have done it earlier.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to ask that because, it, I mean, yeah, it just shows that you're a real human, basically, that, that behind all of this, you know, it's WordPress and it's all this technical stuff, but there's a human there behind the scenes. And, and as you said, people trust other people and they especially trust them if, if they're there and they're consistent, and they're showing up again and again, and, and you can get a sense of who they are and how they work. And ultimately, it's uh, for, for many people, it's a big decision who they're going to hire and, and they're going to pay them a lot of money, hopefully. So having someone that you can trust is important. So we're talking about working in public and and your experience as a freelancer, but I've noticed over the past I guess it's been about the past year or so that you've also sort of branched out a bit, right? So you've I'd like to talk about both, but let's start between you've got an agency going now and you've got content that you've been creating and and writing more and putting things out there for other freelancers and a mentorship program let's let's start with the mentorship program so how's that going how does that work what what have you sort of learned so far just tell us more about it in general
1: i started that last january and i kind of kind of got to a point where i was a little bit fatigued on the client work side and i got to a point where you know i didn't really want to just keep pushing it and uh, just taking on more and more work i wanted to kind of diversify a little bit. not really for financial reasons, but for fulfillment reasons, I guess. And uh, yeah, a lot of people had been coming to me anyway and asking for like advice on freelancing, small business, um, working from home and, and things like that, what I've been doing for such a long time. And that's just kind of become second nature to me now, but it's becoming really relevant to a lot of my friends, especially um, with, with the COVID stuff as well.
0: Yeah, January was some interesting timing for that one. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, people, people were coming to me anyway and asking for just advice and things like that. And then people started saying, um, could we pay you to do some like coaching and things like that? And I didn't feel quite ready to do like a full-blown coaching consultancy transition right there and then. But I just set up this small um, mentorship um, community. Um, and I think we got up to about 20 people at one point. And I was just offering uh, just one-on-one email mentorship. Um, because if, if it would have been video calls, it would have been a little bit too hard, hard to handle Unless I did like group sessions or whatever But yeah, then we built a little, built a little um, Slack community as well Where people could get together And it was nice to bring people together all on the, um, on the same path, you know um, Some were just starting out Some were trying to get, get to that next level And yeah, we've really, I really helped like some people with the pricing and things like that and positioning the two things that we touched on right at the beginning. That's what a a lot of people are really struggling on um, in the freelance world. And yeah, marketing, all sorts of stuff we uh, we talk about. Um, So yeah, it's been a, it's been a relative success. I've got some ideas on how I want to change it so that I can scale it a little bit better um because i'm the bottleneck right now (laughs) more people want to join than what i can i can handle so yeah i've got a few ideas with um, a good problem yeah yeah i can't i can't complain and it's really great to be able to help these people on a one-on-one basis but i want to try and reach more if you know what i mean it's um there's a lot of people that want to get into this game especially now so yeah it'd be it'd be great if i could scale it somehow
0: one of the things that um You know, when when we're creating content online, especially on a website, as opposed to social media and just putting stuff out there, one of the challenges sometimes is that it's, it's not interactive by default in the sense that it's sort of just like shouting into a void and you never really know, like, is this connecting? Is this like if you're speaking in front of an audience, at least you can sort of read people's you know, facial reactions and sort of like, is this landing? Do I need to kind of speed up this point? They've already got it. If you're teaching a class, say, or you know, should I slow down and and kind of explain this in more detail because it looks people look confused. But when you're writing an article, say online, you don't necessarily get that feedback. And inviting your actual readers into something like a mentorship program and then having those one-on-one conversations. I would imagine one of the benefits is that you're actually getting you, you because it's 12 years, you're 12 years into this, right? So like I mean I'm I'm sort of probing what were the challenges early on, but you know, if we're being honest, they're they're quite far back in your memory. And so I imagine hearing from the people who are dealing with them today and the way things have changed from just the industry to now COVID plus yeah, it's just been a while, right? Since you've gone through all of this and so actually getting a chance to hear directly from the people who are your readers who are struggling with these issues who are interested in taking that journey is i, I imagine is is helpful
1: yeah definitely it's, it's a two-way relationship when you do any kind of like coaching or mentorship there's definitely something that the coach gets as well because it's that insight of going back you know like what you just said
0: well especially because you're i mean you mentioned sort of this idea that you can only help so many people in a in a that sort of a coaching model where you're having really kind of high touch, hands-on, one-on-one coaching sessions. The alternative, you know, if you're sort of adding a bit of leverage would be to publish, right? To create, whether it's eBooks or a video course or something, which you've, which you've done, which is uh, one of the other things I wanted to, to get into. And so that's where I was thinking that, you know, doing the coaching, even if it doesn't scale nicely, it at least gives you sort of a chance to almost like try on your material, like a, I imagine like a comedian, right? Like they, you know, you, you, you test the material out in sort of like a small club before you go and you do the big Netflix or HBO or whatever special, right? Like you use the material in front of a smaller audience. So you've, as I said, over the last kind of year or so, you've transitioned from, from strictly freelancing to the mentorship program. And now you've also created, is it two books and an online course? Is that right?
1: Yeah. So starting last April, so nearly a year now, um, I decided to start packaging up some of this knowledge as well, um, because obviously, the, like you said, the feedback from the mentorship program uh, on a one-on-one basis was, was really cool. I, I was getting to know a lot of similar problems. Again, like what I said on the service side, you know, the coaching side as well, a lot of people had the same issues, and I think that that um, kind of made a light bulb go off where I thought, you know what, I can package this experience into a product that will allow me to help you know, the, the more people that I, I mentioned earlier.
0: Did all of that sort of come out of, of the pandemic as sort of a reaction to that or what? Because you, I mean, again, for more than a decade, you were working as a freelancer and something started to shift. It seems like in the last year where you're kind of branching out into these additional revenue streams. Is it is it just basically like, I've been doing this for a while and I want I want to try my hand at something else. Is it, are you intentionally diversifying your your income? How, how do you think about kind of creating digital products now?
1: Yeah, I would say it's both of those things. I think when the, when the pandemic first hit, I don't think anybody could have predicted what would happen in the economy. So I think it made smart sense to try and diversify, even if it was just a little bit because um, I wasn't sure whether... You know, the the client work might completely, marketing budgets, website budgets might completely be eradicated across the globe. You you never really knew, no one knew it was the uncertainty. So there was an element of that, definitely. Um, But again, the other point that you made about having done it for so long, and I think you reach this natural point where the practice only fulfills you so much and you want to start teaching as well. And I think that every, it, it, it comes it comes a part of everyone's life. And I think that I was just at that stage, just at that right time. And, and that was the driver.
0: I, I often ask questions about like, you know, what would you do differently or what's changed or things like that. And, and or, or like, what belief do you have that's changed over time? And I know one for me, I, I think there's this old adage, like um, those who can't do teach or something like that. And it's a... And and I did believe that. It's it's a really toxic, almost like cynical idea that if you see somebody, whether they're selling a course about something or writing a book or teaching a class about something, it's almost like they couldn't cut it as that thing, whatever it is, whatever that profession is. And so this is kind of like this, you know, uh, consolation prize way of making money using the knowledge instead of actually going out and doing it. And maybe that's true in like some tiny tiny percentage of cases. But but the more I talk to people like yourself, the more I dig in and, and realize that actually, yeah, it's why not, right? Because you can only make so many websites in a year, I imagine, like yourself. you, 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 you Even no matter how good you are, there's 24 hours in a day, and there's only so many clients that you can serve as, as one person. Whereas, if you create an ebook or an online course or something like that, you add this element of leverage where you can create the course once and potentially help, you know, a thousand people or, or many, many more.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of, the, one of the reasons why I did it. But I mean, to go back to you, you at the beginning of the sentence, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, practitioners versus teachers and things like that. And I, I think that the problem with the online course world and, and ebooks and things like that is that there are a lot of people that haven't done what they've said. That they've done. So it's kind of like, I think there's a, there's a term for this. It's like unearned wisdom. If you know what I mean by that, it's just like tweet a lot of like thoughts out on Twitter from no relevant experience and then start selling an ebook. And I think that's what kind of gives it a bad name. Whereas I think if you've had that skin in the game, whether it's current or it's very recent, like as what I, I have, then I think that you would be kind of silly not to try and productize what you've learned, because number one, it could um, provide additional revenue stream for yourself, but also number two, and perhaps most importantly, it can help other people along the path that you went. And I think for me, that's that was one of the biggest drivers when I made um, the decision to start doing the products.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really a really good way of thinking about it. And and we talked just kind of momentarily there about this idea of leverage, right? You can only create so many websites yourself. So so what are your options, right? You can just sort of continue on a path and just have that ceiling. You can definitely raise your rates over time. And as we discussed, I think it's something that probably more people should do earlier on. Within reason, that only goes so far, right? You can raise your rates, you can do so many projects, you can productize your knowledge and sort of start creating digital products that do have a lot of leverage sort of built in. And then the other kind of most classic form of leverage is really just hiring other people, right? Instead of being a one a one person shop, you can have other people working with you. And you've also done that recently. I think very recently I saw a post from you about launching an agency.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think um, what you said is spot on. I think you will always reach a, some kind of cap as a freelancer. Like I know that we talk about not selling time for money and and selling like project-based fees using value-based pricing things like that and obviously that is easier to break the ceiling but I still think there is some kind of ceiling that you will hit on your own and you need to start creating uh, leveraging the leverage (laughs) in other ways whether that be through you know hiring other people like you said or through digital products and things like that so yeah For some reason, it kind of felt right for me to start expanding beyond myself as well this year. So yeah, sounds like I'm doing a lot of things. I guess I am. But yeah, I've always hired other freelancers um, along the way. You know, when they've had expertise that I don't have. So let's say, for instance, someone came to me for a WordPress website that they wanted to be designed and built. I've got a a designer friend who's also a freelancer and I'd pair it with him. So I've got some experience in that um, realm anyway. The point that I'm at now, I want to kind of be like the the business side of things. I wanna be the strategist. I wanna start you know, helping other people learn about Headless WordPress, which is what the agency specializes in. And yeah, just becoming a business owner rather than just constantly working in the business. And I think again, that is the natural progression of a freelancer, right? You know, when you get to like that decade in and you've got to a certain point and the ceilings might start to be getting reached, then the only way really, if you wanna do more, is to you know start hiring and things like that. So
0: was there a particular like milestone or something that that actually triggered that? Because I mean, you know you could have done this for arguably a year, two years, five years, eight years. at, at some point, you I mean, you know there's there I don't know if where that ceiling exactly is. Was there something that happened whether in your life or in the business? or was it just an emotion that just kind of came up slowly over time? that caused you to say, you know what, I, I'm not moving away from freelancing, I'm not, I'm not leaving this business, I just wanna do these other things with it.
1: Um, I think I hit kind of a, a, a monetary ceiling about two or three years ago, where I worked, I felt like I worked super hard and I earned an amount of money which was really good and the best I'd ever done, but I just felt like I never wanna work this hard again. That, that was kind of the the realization that I had really. Um, maybe, I think it was like two or three years ago now. Um, so I, I intentionally took my foot off the gas. And you can, I think it's a, a Derek Sivers quote or something, some, someone along them lines where he says that you can like work at like 90% and achieve like, you know, more, more, you, you can get good results basically from working less hard. And that was so right, most of the results. and that was so right. I think he tells a story about where he's, he's he's on a bike in San Francisco or something and is it the one where the bird shits in his mouth or something? and uh, I think he I think he just takes his foot off the gas a little bit and he, he does the journey like 30 seconds um, in 30 seconds less time, but he has like two times as much fun and and that's what I've noticed in the last like couple of years. so I might have earned like slightly less money. But I've had a lot more fun, and I think that yeah, that was the point for me where I started to do this real deep thinking about where I want to go for the next ten years.
0: Yeah, and I I think there's there's a, a few things I want to dig into from there. A lot of things actually I want to dig into from there. But I think there is something like diminishing marginal returns at some point, right? Where and and they're not necessarily even career wide because it's I mean if you on the surface your answer is sort of funny because. I'm saying hey you started doing all these extra things and you're like yeah I decided to step back but it sounds like what you're actually doing is maybe kind of like yeah stepping back a little bit on the freelancing side and taking that extra time and energy and putting it into things which are then giving you more energy if if I get like from the Exactly. Mentoring, writing, you know, creating content, putting stuff out there, now starting the agency, there's there's a more sort of creative element to all of that and using your the business skills that you've built up over time. It, I think it's important also to realize that, that again, for people listening, and, and this something I have to remind myself often also, is that like the diff- different advice for different times in your life, right? Like when you're starting out, maybe going after everything and saying yes to all the projects and trying all the different stuff and sort of figuring out where you fit in and what your positioning is and all that is the right approach. And then maybe if you've been doing something for 10 years you maybe you're not or 12 years in your case maybe you're you're not at a point where it's like yeah just like you know foot all the way on the gas just say yes to everything maybe that's the time where it's like okay am i really spending my time in the best way possible at this stage of my life or could i do one or two less projects a year and put that extra time towards building the next thing which is going to help me rather than just more of the same
1: yeah that's exactly right and exactly what you know what i surmise basically with my life um it was to take off you know the gas on the freelance side of things but then explore others and by doing that it kind of uh, allowed me to think a little bit more deeply Um, there's this thing it's um, the inertia thing you know where you're just doing something just because it's already in motion and that was me that was me for a long time with the freelancing and and I can't complain it was really good to me Um, I made good money I made a lot of good friends um, a lot of good clients along the way but I, I got to this point where I was like you know what, I want, to, I want to just try some other stuff. So let's take, let's take, you know, 20, 30% of the time away from the freelancing and put it into exploring these um, new ventures like the mentorship, like the digital products, um, like the audience building and, and all that kind of thing that goes with it.
0: Yeah, you have a, a, an article that you've written about this, this concept of betting with your time. What, is, what does that mean to you and, and how are you betting your time? Is that is that what we're talking about right now or what is betting with time?
1: Yeah, pretty much. So I was doing a bit of deep thinking uh, as I like to do and I came up with this concept of betting with time and what I mean by that is we all have like a certain amount of chips, right? Our time, you know, whether it's hours, minutes, whatever it is. And each day we have to think about how we want to spend them And we want to get the most out of our money. We want to get the best bang for our buck. But then you realize that every single decision that you make is is a bet. You know, whether that be what you work on today, whether that be who you spend time with, um, whether that be if you want to cook dinner tonight or you want to play with your kids and things like that. Like We only have a certain amount of chips to play with at any one time. And yeah, that's that's the concept that I kind of came up with and tried to tried to put it onto how I spend my time professionally this year. Because I I came to a point where I don't really need to work if I don't want this year. Like, and And that kind of gave me a little kick. I was like, oh, I've actually got enough runway now that I could have a year off, but I don't want to have a year off. I've got all these ideas, and but then which ones do I work on? And I think that that is a really big stumbling block for a lot of people. Once you get past that point where you have enough, betting with your time becomes one of the trickiest things and it's something that um yeah i'm keen to study a lot more and uh help other people along with too
0: yeah i think there's this idea of like even almost like push versus pull you know where for at least a certain period of time you just you're doing it because you've got to do it you need the money you know you've already said yes to the project Bills are due, the rents due, whatever it is. Like you've got these certain commitments or sort of commitments that are kind of driving you forward, and then you reach a certain point, hopefully, uh, as you have, where you, you're just you're doing things because you did them, as you said, inertia, right? And then it's actually stepping back and and being much more deliberate about it and saying, okay, well, what are the things that I really want to be doing or that I should be doing with my time, and where am I just kind of like taking the path of least resistance because it's what I did last time this came up
1: yeah exactly like for me I think I got to that point and I was like how can I be of best service to the world but also be of best service to myself and that's kind of where that that line of thinking um, took me
0: I became a dad in the in the past year and you've got a, a little one at home as well has that has becoming a parent kind of influenced all of this for you or or how do you how do you think about something like betting with your time? Um you know, in relation to to, to freelancing and parenthood and, and, and family time and all of that together.
1: No, definitely. It, that informs like a really big part of the betting with time concept for me. And I think that becoming a parent just changes your whole perspective on life unlike anything else really happening. Um, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird one because I was always super career focused until that point but now and as i write in the in the article betting with time like i will always you know spend my first allocation of my chips on my family because that's just that's just how i want things to be so yeah 100% becoming a dad does make you think a little bit more deeply and it does interrupt the inertia
0: Yeah, we um, switching gears a bit, we kind of danced around this idea of the agency that you've launched recently, but we didn't properly talk about it. So the agency is Run the Show, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And you're specializing in headless WordPress, Mm -hmm. which I imagine to the uninformed sounds like a nerdy Halloween costume or something (laughs) like that. Can you give us an overview of headless WordPress or why someone would want to use that for a project?
1: Yeah, sure. So it's kind of my niche within the niche. So as WordPress has been my primary niche for like the last 12 years. But as the years have gone by, the world has expanded. The WordPress world has just gone crazy. And it's so huge right now. And yeah, in recent years, um, really performant front-end frameworks have been coming out on the JavaScript side of things. And my own kind of interest, I guess, drove me towards these frameworks and as I started playing with them more, I realized that you could couple them with WordPress. So it's a really great combo for having the editorial control and familiarity that you're used to with WordPress, but having a super fast um, website app-like front-end, basically. And the, wor- the reason that people would want to use it, especially like businesses, let's say you're wanting to get ahead of someone else on the on the search ranking pages and things like that, performance is a google uh metric for you know ranking higher than so fast websites rank higher basically so the faster that you can get your website to be um the better and i just think that i've just i've just identified that i can see that this headless wordpress thing is going to explode in the next couple of years and i just want to position run the show as the authority in this space in advance really um but yeah i mean people are really interested in it already so Maybe I'm uh, not too ahead of the time.
0: <laughs> so just just kind of translating to make sure I I understand correctly. It sounds like the idea is that having like being able to create a custom front end of a website from scratch or using a JavaScript framework gives you more sort of flexibility and control than just a sort of standard WordPress website with a bunch of templates and things like that that are kind of notoriously bloaty because they're they're these templates that people have made and they do a thousand different things and you might only be using like 1% of the functionality of them, but it's still loading all this other code and you're still kind of tied down by all these restrictions. So in theory, you could just create a simple website using these JavaScript frameworks and it would be super, super fast but then on the back end, you have no easy way of like creating content or managing posts or giving someone who isn't a developer the ability to do that stuff. And so you're sort of keeping the back end kind of admin interface of WordPress that has all of that stuff already built in, but you're developing like a whole new front end from scratch and then just sort of like gluing them together with an API or something like that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's WordPress websites that don't look like themes essentially. Because as you know, like most WordPress websites will be powered by like a pre-bought theme or something like that. And you might see 10, 11, 12 websites all looking exactly the same. Um, so yeah, it's, it's API driven. So all the content is within WordPress and then that's consumed by a JavaScript front end. But the, the good thing is as well that you can distribute that content across any number of websites, uh, apps. So it's, it's good for, let's say a company has um, an Android app. They have an iOS app and they have a website. They can feed data into those things from one WordPress install on the back end. So it's um it's really useful.
0: It becomes a true content management system in that sense, then almost like a reposit like a universal repository. And then because it's not just a single kind of stock front end, you're able to just pull whatever content is relevant for for whichever app or front end the person happens to be using. Exactly. So you could just have like one WordPress backend for all your stuff is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. The, uh, the, the last thing I wanted to just talk about before we wrap up, um, it's come up a couple of times in this conversation, and that's Twitter. It's it's also how we first got connected. I think over the past year or so, your name just kept popping up in my feed. Uh, I guess we probably run in the same circle of kind of freelancy, web develop-y people who are interested in in a lot of the same topics. And I thought you had a lot of good takes on, on topics. And so I started following you. And I'm just, I'm just sort of curious where kind of Twitter and social media fit into all that we discussed. things like working in public and, and putting yourself out there. And specifically, like how deliberately do you approach it? You know, do you just kind of like log on to Twitter from time to time when you have something that you'd like to say? Or do you have, you know, like a social media calendar, like a big brand would? Or how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, so to answer the first part of your question first it's definitely a big part of everything that I'm doing. I feel like Twitter is the central point of all the different business ideas and thoughts and things like that that I've got to share. Um, The connections that I want to make, they all seem to be on Twitter. So that's kind of my platform of choice. Um, And I mean, I guess that leads into why did I choose Twitter in the first place as opposed to, you know, LinkedIn or Instagram or anything like that. And I think that I am a better writer than I am at creating like visual content and things like that. So that w- that was the first point. Um, and the second point was I tried to think which platform can I be consistent on? Because that is obviously everything. And for me, I, c- I can write like, you know, one line of tweets all day long. <laughs> it's just kind of my thing, you know, as you'll have probably seen. And uh, yeah, so I do a lot of off the cuff stuff. But I also schedule as well. So yeah, to answer the second part of your question, um, I use scheduling tools. I, at the minute, I'm using one called Feed Hive, um, which is by um, a friend of mine called Simon Hoiberg. And the the process that I go through with that is kind of fire up notes originally at, at first, just fire up notes. Start with like one tweet, and then try and like make those tweets just expand on themselves. So let's say really popular tweets at the minute are like where you say, I don't know, um, how to cook an egg, one, two, three, four, five. And then for each point then, I'll focus on that point and then try and come up with another one or two tweets off the back of that point. And then, yeah, it just kind of – batching tweets is really, really useful, especially when you are starting out.
0: So Yeah, so threads are certainly popular. You had a a Twitter thread – I guess it was probably what, last summer, I think that went viral on pricing and pricing freelance projects. And did that lead to you then creating the ebook on the same topic? Is that how it went?
1: Yeah, exactly. I would say that that was the point where my eyes were truly open to the power of Twitter because that tweet now has something like 37,000 likes on it. And I think I gained something like four or 5,000 followers just over the course of two or three days off the back of that um, and I guess that, like to answer your question, it gave me the kick to expand on that knowledge, you know, about pricing and what I'd learned. Um, because I didn't really think that that would, that tweet would really do anything. It was just one of those off the cuff, anything else tweet. But I think it's that kind of tweet and that kind of knowledge that does get really popular because people can tell that it's just, you know, off the top of the head and just natural to the, to the author.
0: Yeah, David Perell, the the writing online guy talks about this idea, almost like we said earlier with the comedy club kind of metaphor of of like testing your ideas in a place like that. Again, because otherwise you're just sort of shouting into this void. And so I think what what you did is actually a perfect example of what he talks about where it's like you're constantly sharing stuff on Twitter, but you saw that that one particular topic, it just it's v- disproportionate. I mean, your your other tweets get nice engagement, but like that one is just like skyrocketed in terms of uh, the engagement, and I think we've had like millions of impressions. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, two million.
0: Two million. So, that tells you that like there's obviously an appetite for what you've created. And then then that, that just gives you like license to double down and, yeah, you know, you've made the tweet. Now go create an ebook. What else can you say about the topic or what products can you create around the topic? And that's just, uh, yeah, my eyes have only been open to this recently as well. I've been on Twitter for, you know, a decade or more. But, It was just sort of like, you know, one of the social media platforms. But when I'm asking you about using it deliberately, it's really out of self-interest because I see the way that how powerful it can be when you do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that you can really test those ideas as well on Twitter a little bit more than what you can on, on other platforms. So obviously, with the threads, um, I did a second thread as well about how to, you know, create a freelancing website that sells basically and gets leads and things like that. And then, and then I created the second course um, off the back of that. So it's definitely something that I've done semi-intentionally, and all the other threads that I do there on in have kind of got a product attached to them in the back of my mind, and I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, I don't think that you can completely validate an idea in advance, right? I think I, I believe that you've got to put something to market to see how popular it will be. But I think you can get a good a good idea in advance. And I think that what you just described then is kind of like what I did intentionally, just to get that good idea. Um and give me that motivation to come up with a product off the back of a popular thread.
0: Yeah. Do you, how much sort of license do you give yourself? You know, do you just pop onto Twitter and just tweet about like anything that pops in your mind, whether it's like, you know, politics, sports, or or do you kind of stay in your lane of freelancing, business, web development type things?
1: Mm. I think right at the beginning, because like, like you, I've been on Twitter for, it must be 12 years, probably when I started freelancing. And it's only really in the last couple that I've started to grow a following, and at the very beginning, I gave myself no no barriers, basically. I just would tweet about anything. Um, maybe not politics. That's, that's probably one of my only rules. I'm not really into getting on politics uh, conversations. But I would tweet about football. I would tweet about web development. I'd tweet about business. I'd tweet about, um, I don't know, a cool dog that I just saw at the pub or whatever. You know, it's it, all that kind of thing. But I, it, it didn't work for me. It, no one's really interested in what you've got to say until you've built a level of authority and credibility on a specific topic and it's kind of weird because i'm coming to that point now where i'm coming full circle and people are kind of a little bit more interested in those kind of things so i think if i did see a cool dog or cat or whatever at the pub i think i would put a picture on it again and people would care that get likes now because people have been used to listening to my freelance and business stuff for the last two years they actually care about the cool dog so
0: that's funny how that works <laughs> But it goes right back to that point of what we talked about earlier that idea that, like, you know, the things that the advice that you hear from, say, I don't know, some Michael Jordan is probably not what you need as, like, a, a rookie player. You know, what worked for him in winning a world championship is maybe not, you know, how to make the high school team. You know, maybe there's some different stuff. So, in the beginning, it for you on Twitter, at least, it's like focus and get known for one thing. And then maybe if you have thousands of followers who are interested in, getting a peek behind the scenes, then you have license to then talk more about that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think people don't necessarily care that much about your wider views until they care about your hyper-focused views. And I think by the point that you, you start getting to like 10, 15, 20,000 followers on any platform, people know whether you're making it up or not as well. If you know what I mean by that, like people will be able to tell if you are authentically presenting, um, what you know what you're saying you're practicing what you preach basically yeah and you've got that earned earned knowledge
0: yeah and that comes from showing up consistently like you talked about earlier right it's not that you're every day just tweeting something random and they and they're interested in that it's that you're consistently showing up with something that they value and that gives you permission then to sort of test the waters outside that or just share fun stuff outside that
1: exactly exactly
0: So in closing, for people who, uh, you know, enjoy the conversation, are interested in all that you're doing, I'm going to link to everything in the show notes. But for someone who's this is their first exposure to you and your work, where would you suggest they get started? Should they start with the 10 steps to becoming a better freelancer? Is there an email list or Twitter? Or what's the what's like the first place to kind of dip their toe in the water?
1: Yeah, I think the best place to uh, dip your toe in is to follow me on Twitter. I'm really active on there. And obviously, Twitter's free. Um, but if you want to, so that's uh, I'm at Tom underscore Hurst on Twitter. But yeah, if you want to get a little bit more in depth about, you know, reading the the manifesto basically of my freelance career, then definitely start with the ten steps to becoming a better freelancer. Uh, that's a, that's a free ebook which will act as a good primer for anyone looking to get into the freelancing game, but also for someone who's at an intermediate level who wants to reach that next step.
0: Fantastic. And I'm going to link to all of that, as I said, so we'll have all that in the show notes. Tom, it's been a big pleasure. Thanks so much for for joining me and for, for sharing all of this knowledge.
1: Thanks, Neville. It's been great.